One of the great things about Australia is our democratic government. Uh, democracy is decision-making where everyone has a voice or a vote. Uh, its citizens choose the leaders they want to represent them. Uh, it's different from other forms of government, uh, where decision-making is restricted to one person, a king, perhaps, uh, or a dictator, or to a small group of people, uh, an aristocracy, for example. Uh, often, I think, we don't appreciate how good our political system is. We just take it for granted. Much of the rest of the world wants to live in a Western democracy like Australia, or perhaps they want their own country to change to be more like a Western democracy. What is it about our democracy that we appreciate? Uh, well, I think the first thing we appreciate is political stability. Uh, we take it for granted, don't we, until we watch the news and see what's going on in places like Hong Kong. But in Australia, we can peacefully protest about proposed government legislation like Ros Deal's been doing for the last few weeks. Voters can speak to their elected representatives. Voters can disagree with one another. Decisions can be made that we oppose, but there are no rights. There's no brutal armed retaliation. Elections take place, opposing supporters chat to one another outside polling stations as they hand out how-to-vote cards. Government changes. One Prime Minister steps down, clears out his office, shakes the hand of his opponent and the next Prime Minister takes over. Uh, government continues to operate, all without any major disruption or violence. Uh, John says it's not like that in Ecuador. After an election, when the ruling party changes, everyone in government departments loses their jobs and the country grinds to a halt for weeks. <laughs> and, and that's in a democratic country, a peaceful democratic country. Uh, I think the second thing we appreciate about democracy is the freedom that comes with it. We're free to say what we like, believe what we like, at least for the moment, uh, and live where we like. Uh, we can make a living in just about any way we like, we have a voice, even the least wealthy and powerful. And I think we love the way that almost anyone can rise up to lead. You don't need to be born to it. You don't need to have the fortune needed to bribe your way to power. If you have the ability in Australia, there's a pathway for you to lead your country. That sort of freedom resonates, I think, with the Aussie sense of, fair, of a fair go for everyone. Uh, and our passion for cheering for the underdog. So there are benefits to democracy we appreciate. Uh, but how does Christianity fit with democracy? Uh, how does Christianity fit with democracy? It's an interesting time to be a Christian in Australia. Uh, the last few years we've seen moves from some parts of society, and I think the last uh, federal election we realised that it's, you know, it's the vocal part of society that seems to be pushing, but uh, there are uh, vast, uh, unspoken parts of society who perhaps don't think this way, but there are some parts of society that have wanted to see us remove every trace of Christianity from public life. Get scripture out of schools. Get prayer out of the opening of Parliament. Get churches out of meeting in public school halls. Uh, remove freedoms of religion and religious speech. The thinking of these people are that anyone of religious faith needs to keep their opinions private and to stay out of the public sphere. 
And yet the fact remains that there are many people of faith in public life. I wonder perhaps even whether whether they are overrepresented in politics compared with a general population. Obviously there are people of faith who think that it's their response to God uh, to work for the good of society in public life. And that's not a recent thing either. Uh, The two great modern democracies, Britain and America, developed quite differently and yet both of them were strongly influenced in different ways by Christians operating from Christian principles. Democratic values come from biblical teaching. Democratic values come from biblical teaching. Uh, And here are three uh, different areas in which Uh, democratic values come from biblical teaching. Firstly, Christianity says that this life is not all there is. There are consequences for the choices you make now. We are eternal. Justice matters. And there will be justice, ultimate justice. Uh, Those who worked for democracy to be established were motivated by this sense of justice, something that was founded on God's character. Uh, The truth that each of us will have to give an account for the choices we make one day will be judged by God when he judges everybody according to how they live. Tyrants, dictators, can impose whatever laws they like and do as they please, but one day they'll be answerable to a higher authority. And the very best leaders are those who recognise that. And democracy is a tool where those sorts of rulers uh, can be uh, just, uh, can be brought down and where there's there's accountability and justice against that sort of rule. Uh, The second thing Christianity teaches is connected with this idea of judgment and that is each of us is thoroughly sinful. Uh, That means no person or group of people can be trusted with power. Uh, Democracy protects us from wicked leaders, from those who... uh, do the wrong thing by the people uh, they serve. Democracy constrains and moderates sinful people by putting checks and balances in place. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, I'm a Democrat, I'm a a proponent of democracy because I believe in the fall of man. I think most people are Democrats, he wrote, for the opposite reason. They thought mankind so wise and good that everyone deserved a share in the government. The danger of defending democracy on those grounds is that they're not true. I find they're not true without looking further than myself. I don't deserve a share in governing a hen roost, much less a nation. The real reason for democracy is just the reverse. Mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows. Aristotle said that some people are only fit to be slaves. I don't contradict him. But I reject slavery because I see no men fit to be masters. (laughs) Uh, So democracy is good because it seeks, uh, puts in place ways of controlling sinful people. Uh, The third thing Christianity teaches uh, is that even though we are thoroughly sinful, God has still made us in his own image. Everybody has value, dignity, basic rights. Everyone is worth protecting, everyone is worth listening to. And that truth motivated those in lots of countries who campaigned for the right to vote. 
It doesn't matter how wealthy or important or privileged you are, what your sex is, your ethnicity, everybody's voice, everybody's vote is valuable. Now Jesus taught and lived out that commitment to the, the value of every person. Uh, Luke chapter 4, he, uh, he gets to pick what passage from Isaiah he's going to read and he picks this passage from Isaiah 61. Uh, and he read it out. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He rolled up a scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Uh, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, there's a spiritual sense to those words. Uh, Jesus is delivering spiritual prisoners. He's, he's healing spiritual blindness. But he's also at work changing society. He's changing society. He was relieving physical and emotional suffering. He was healing blindness. To those at the bottom of society, he was restoring them. He was releasing demon-possessed people. Everybody was valuable. He was doing it to those who needed it most. Uh, everyone mattered. And, and down through the ages, Christians have followed Jesus' example uh, and looked after those sorts of people as well. Democracy at its core gives a voice to everybody because everybody matters. Well, that's my first point. Uh, what we value about democracy comes from biblical teaching. Justice, sin... Uh, the, the value of everybody made in God's image. Uh, the second point I want to make is that democracy is a good system within which the Christian can be a good citizen. Now, I'm not going to say, and I don't think you can prove it, that democracy is the most Christian political system around, but what I do want to say is it's a good tool that we can use to live out how God wants us to live. In a democracy, Christians are free to make moral choices and to influence society for their good. Uh, that's one of the reasons Paul teaches us that we should pray for those in authority. Uh, have a look at 1 Timothy 2. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, said, Paul writes to Timothy, I urge, you, I, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. Why do we pray for those in authority? that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. You see, government that's working well, whatever the system, uh, means that Christians can live peaceful, quiet, godly lives. Uh, that's God's desire for everybody. Now, democracy is not the only system that can provide that, but it does provide that, and it seems to have been the most effective one in the last couple of hundred years for allowing people to live peaceful, uh, quiet, godly, holy lives, for Christians to live that way. We have the freedom to live and speak authentically as followers of Jesus in a system like the one we're living in at the moment. But what does that look like? What does it look like to live out an authentic Christian life as, as a part of society? Uh, let's have a think about what John the Baptist taught. Uh, Luke chapter 3, he's out in the desert. Uh, he's preaching repentance, that Jesus is coming, and then he says people should produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And then he warns them that the time is short. And he says in verse 9 of Luke 3, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowd asks, what should we do then? And here's what he says. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. The one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Uh, Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. In other words, there are practical consequences if you have Christian faith. As a member of society, it should look like something if you're a Christian. Uh, Your repentance will look like something. It'll make a difference in how you work. The attitudes and your actions at work, how you spend your money, how you treat people. Uh, You'll be generous, you'll be fair, you'll be compassionate, you'll be content. Christians who obey Jesus' teaching, uh, John's teaching here, make good citizens, good members of society. They contribute, they make a difference. Democracy is a good system that allows us to do these sorts of things. Well, that's John. We've seen a little of Jesus. We'll come back to Jesus uh, in a moment, but let's think for a little about what Paul and Peter teach in their letters about what it means to be a good citizen. So in uh, Romans 13, Paul writes this, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. We are to obey earthly rulers because God's put them in place. Down in verse 4, he says, For the ruler is God's servant to do good. If you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment. God works through earthly authorities, even non-Christian ones, to achieve his purposes, to bring justice, to protect the innocent. Uh, So you should submit yourself. Paul goes on to give some practical commands about what it looks like uh, to submit to earthly authorities. Uh, In verse 6 he says, This is why you pay taxes, for authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. So the Christian is to fulfil his responsibilities as a member of society. But that's a bar that's at this level. Paul wants to say, okay, everyone should do this. If you're a Christian, the bar is actually up here. You're to go above and beyond the law of the land, pay taxes, pay revenue, pay respect... But here's a debt you have to keep paying and you'll never reach the end of that. You're to love. You can never completely fulfil that command. Keep loving. That's the bar the Christian is to keep, uh, the the Christian is to clear. Well, that's Paul. Uh, Peter says something similar in uh, 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2 verse 13, uh, he writes, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, verse 13, to every authority instituted among men, 
whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and command those who do right. At one point Peter's making here is that there are different levels of authority and you're to submit to them all. Pool lifeguards, parking officers, soccer referees, librarians, traffic controllers, all the way up to police officers, judges, prime ministers. Offer your submission to them. Be humble, be peaceable, be gentle. And then Peter adds, do it for the Lord's sake. In other words, you're to be loyal to a higher authority. When you serve lower authorities, you are pleasing your heavenly authority. Another point he makes, have a look there in verse 15. God's purpose for your obedient submission. For it is God's will that by doing good, by by offering that submission, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now Christians, pretty much from the very first Christians, uh, all the way through to today, have had critics who've misunderstood them, whether it was Jews and Romans uh, or whether it's politically correct secular humanists today intolerantly pushing tolerance. But the way that we're commanded to cut the ground out from underneath our opponents is love. To be gentle in the face of their aggression. To be humble in the face of their pride. To be patient in the face of their ridicule. To listen, to question, to turn the other cheek. That's the way we attack those who oppose us. The paragraph that comes before this one explains Peter's strategy in more detail. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against yourself. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Yes, we're to be the best citizens that we can be. We're to be citizens like those around us. But at the same time, it's a type of guerrilla warfare, a type of undercover resistance. We're to look like everybody else, but our first allegiance is to somebody else. Our first allegiance is to a different master. We are working for a different purpose. God's purpose is that through your behaviour people might recognise and glorify God. Through your behaviour people might recognise and glorify God. Your identity, you see, is that you're not primarily Australian or a Sydney cider. Primarily you are a citizen of heaven. If you're a Christian then you have dual passports. You have dual citizenship. Uh, You have earthly citizenship and heavenly citizenship. And Christians are called, where we can, to be loyal to both. Uh, To be loyal to heaven and loyal to earth. But your fundamental identity is that you're an alien. You're a tourist. Uh, Your true home is not here. Your true home is heaven. God is your father and your king. That is the nature that you are to reflect. Your first loyalty is to your heavenly citizenship. Peter sums up in verse 17 
uh, what these responsibilities would look like uh, as a dual citizen. Verse 17, he says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. It's not a bad summary, is it? As a dual citizen, love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the king. It's this dual identity, this dual loyalty that Jesus unpacks in Luke 20. His critics try to trick him. Verse 22, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? If he answered yes, he'd disappoint the people. They wanted freedom from Rome. If he said no, there'd be grounds for him being arrested for treason. And so in verse 24, Jesus answered, show me a denarius whose portrait and inscription is on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. Caesar had his image stamped on coins. And so Jesus says, give him the coins that represent his authority. But then he says, our higher loyalty belongs to God. Why is that? Because we have his image. We have God's image stamped on us. We are made in God's image. We are God's coins. We are to give to God us, ourselves. We are to give him our obedience and loyalty. When God said, let's make mankind in our image, he then went on to say, we are to bear out that image. We are to rule and subdue the earth. We are to cultivate and create it. We are to protect and nurture it. That's what it means for us to give to God what belongs to God. We are to live as his image bearers. And our democracy, our political system in Australia, at least at the moment, gives us the freedom, gives us the opportunities and the tools to live out that image bearing of God. We need more Christians in public life. We need more Christians in local and state and federal politics. We need more Christians on school PNF associations and chambers of commerce and the boards of not-for-profit organisations. We need more Christians to write letters to the editor and blogs and contact their federal, their, uh, their federal and state and local members. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus described his followers as salt and light And that's what he wants us to be. That's what Jesus wants his church to be in Australia in 2019. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is another area that just seems too big for us to to deal with to know how to make a difference and our society seems to be changing in ways that we feel powerless to deal with and yet 
In reality, things have never really been different. We pray that you would help each of us, help us as a church uh, to give to you what belongs to you, uh, to submit to authorities where we can, to, to honour you, to live out godly lives in each decision, in each person that we come to, help us to love them uh, and to live out Jesus before them uh, for his honour and glory. Amen.